What's it going to be then, eh? How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Zoo Box Goes to the Movies. Returning guest, Big Paul. We're coming back to our finish up some Kubrick stuff. Going to be continuing the journey on uh, Kubrick's filmography, Kubrick Boys Reunite. Uh, this one's been a long time coming. We've kind of had to put it off a few times. I mean, pretty disgusting behavior from a so-called best friend. But <laughs> some would say it's degenerate behavior. You know, when you're online a lot, like you start using words like everything. Oh, you're degenerate. Degenerate behavior. Yeah. Paul, like he called me. He said, I saw that you did cuties. He's like, I can't be associated with that disavow. And I was like, whoa. Well, I was fresh off deactivating my Netflix account, and then you and Sarah go on and do a whole bit on it, and I'm just like, I now I got to disavow Zoobox, Zoobox Nation, and everything it stands for. So, I'll, I mean, um, that's that's understandable, right? But I, but obviously, I'm here tonight, and that's because you've known me for over 20 years, and you know, you're incriminating shit. So, hey, Zoobox Nation, <laughs> glad to be back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh... Did you guys get wrapped up in that? No, because as you know, I know you're you're off. Yeah, you you gone dark. Yeah. I've been Well, that's good. You didn't miss much. So. Uh, no. You going to do like what Dave Rubin does? Like he went like dark for like a month and then like uh, Glenn Beck came up and in chronological order gave him the whole yeah. month that he, he does that every year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he does. And now yeah. he's just you know, just as a side tangent, uh, I'm not a big Ruben guy anymore. Like when he first started, and you could see his journey to the center. Now he's just become like kind of a, it's like a company man now, almost. Just like another uh, like conduit for Prager U, like kind of a little bit, yeah. I mean, he just he just kind of went hard, hard libertarian, and then just didn't look back. Which is, you know, hey, more power to him. I don't have a problem with that. But it's it stopped being kind of interesting to me if you're not going to have like kind of a more of a a broad conversation. Like that's kind of where he started as. But then you realize, like, oh, he was just getting red pilled for four years. <laughs> that's what you realize when you go back and you watch all of his interviews and stuff. It's like, oh, it's just a, a man slowly being red pilled. Mm-hmm. But you know, well, whatever. Thanks. I think, uh, no, I think what probably is playing into like why he feels a little stale to you is uh, his selection of guests. He's getting more, uh, more of the same, you know. It's always Candace Owens, and then like you know, and then people over under her umbrella and over that network, and it's not, you know, well, it's, bas- it's like a Prager U interview show now, or uh, the and the 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 Rand Institute. He talks to a lot of people like the Ann Rand Institute, the libertarian people, like the like the serious libertarians, the objectivists. Yeah. He even talked to I know he talked to the founder of the institute, but he's also talked to like some actors that are involved in the institute. You know the guy from uh, you know the Big Lebowski? Yeah. You know one of the guys that fucking shows up in the beginning of the movie to uh take the carpet back? Not the or, guy. No, no, not not to take the carpet back, who pisses on the carpet. Right. He's like it says here your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. That's he's a super he's like an objectivist. He's like an Ayn Rand acolyte. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I was like, oh, buddy, keep your keep your mouth shut. I twenty fourteen though, when he interviewed him, I guess it wasn't so taboo to like actually just speak your opinion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. What but the now fuck here we, we are. 
But now we, here we are. Now we're headed into actually a lot of the things, some crossover with uh, current current events, uh, with with all the uh, like defunding the police talk and whatnot. We're gonna be talking about Ooh. Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. We got the movie, okay? We got the book. Yes, we do. We've done it all, America. There's nothing else you could do. Maybe you could watch a Rob Ager video or two. I don't know. You could do that too. Well, yeah, there's an Andy Warhol early adaptation from the 60s as well. But. Is it really? Oh, see? Yeah, nice. but it's it's fucking dumb. Just like the 21st chapter of Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, we'll get we're going to get into that cuz that is it is a it is a huge it changes everything. Like the whole <laughs> thing changes. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Paul's like, I thought it was stupid. It's a we'll pussy. Okay, we already we already went off topic already, man. But I mean uh, are we going to do this whole thing when we start getting the clockwork orange and that set, or are we just going to fuck? Well, I was going to say, like, uh, you, when this is, okay, so we have saw the movie when we were kids. It's like another one of these movies saw way too young. I think we were like 13 or something. Mm-hmm. And it's another one of those things where you're like, well, oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, you know, it's just like when we talk about Platoon and just thinking like Sergeant Barnes was a badass, right? And just us being kids being like, yeah, we should get droogs, you know? <laughs> like I do remember a little light droog, droog talk. I don't think we ever... I think it's so clear that this is not a good person uh, that it's a little bit more easy to disassociate and be like, okay, like, he he is raping and killing people. Like, so... Sergeant Barnes, f- who f- whatever he does is not, like... There is the context of war. There's the context of all these other things. Clockwork Orange is a little different. But like I was going to say, uh, there is kind of some weird modern parallels, probably more so for the book than uh, the movie, uh, because Burgess kind of goes, Anthony Burgess, the, the writer of the book, kind of sets it in a light dystopia where there isn't a lot of police and the cities and the towns are kind of taken over by uh, youth gangs that they all go out and like kind of fight at night. Uh, they're even like, they make note, I think in the book, when they beat up the bum, they're like even surprised to see him because you're not supposed to be out here at night. Mm-hmm. This is when we are out, you know? Uh, the movie kind of makes general hints towards that, but it's not like explicitly stated. It's just more in the subtext of the of the movie. Um, so, but you, this, but this was the first time you read the book though, right? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So I listened to the audio book and uh, it, 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 it was tough. It was really hard to get uh, get into with the Nat set. Yeah, uh, which the Nat set, for everybody who knows, this is why I was going to bring this up, is a fictional language that he, Anthony Burgess, who is a linguist, that was actually his profession, um, that he created that's a, a mixture of like proper English and Russian. Um, and the it's the suffix equivalent of NASDAQ is teen. Like, so it's supposed to like kind of work into the theme of the, of the book. But yeah, that is the thing about the book. Cause it's all a uh, first person perspective. It's kind of narrated to you in a certain way, just like in the movie is right. It's uh, mm-hmm. it takes a while and it's, it's harder. I think reading the book or listening to the book than it is in the movie. Cause there's kind of the context is not there. You have like visual context for things when you're watching the movie. So it's kind of easier to understand what they're getting at. But in the book, you have kind of 
NASDAQ descriptions of things, you're not even really sure what the fuck they're talking about, like ever. Up until I would say like halfway through or a third of the way through, you kind of start acclimating to it. But yeah, that's when you really pick it up in section three. But uh, the thing that made me better about it is that uh, NADSAT, um Kubrick almost didn't pursue doing this because of NADSAT. He didn't get it at first. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really. And earlier publications of the book, because the book came out like in the 50s, I think mid 50s. Uh, yes, I believe so. So, uh, but they actually accompanied uh, <laughs> like a dictionary of NADSAT. Well, it's a, it came out in 1963, yeah, and as a promotional tool, they had a dictionary uh, for NADSAT. And the book was released in different... A promotional tool? Like yeah, that. yeah. The, and the book was used as... Uh, or was There was two editions of the book, actually. There's the American release, which omits chapter 21, which is the last chapter of the book. And then there's uh, the European release, which had the whole book. And the reason why... Anthony Burgess was like a struggling writer at the time. And the publisher basically said, uh, you, you got to lose that last chapter. Or we're not going to publish it. American publishers. Did. Yes. The Ameri- yeah. The American publishers did. And I don't know if, uh, as far as I understand Kubrick, if you read the foreword to the book, which is written by Anthony Burgess, cause he kind of like <laughs> has a small amount of disdain because yeah. he's like, I've done so many better things. And this is the only one anybody reads because they made that stupid fucking movie that doesn't even represent my story. <laughs> they didn't even have chapter 21. Because he bitches about it in the forward. He's like, he didn't read the right one. In his forward, he, he, he likens himself to like, you know, major composers who, you know, uh, their best work, you know, wasn't representative of them and like all that. Well, because it's, of- it's, a, it's a fair thing, right? Like, so if you think about a band, if you were in a band and like your, your, your hit is on your first album, and you think you've done like some mature work later on, but all anybody wants to talk about is smells like teen spirit. You'd be like, fuck you, man. Come on. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. Let me go in my giant fucking house and wake up and do whatever the fuck I want because of that thing that he loves. Yeah. But see, this is called the man. If I was a struggling artiste, you know, if if you, if you believe in the purity of the art form, Paul, you don't do it just for money. Purity of the art form. Purity of the art form. Dude. It's uh, he had so much he hated. He hated. I, I, that was, I think that was the best part. Uh, listen to the audiobook, yeah, because so much like let's listen to it again. There's so much venom. Uh, it reminded me because uh, what Arthur C. Clarke does the forward for 2001, mm-hmm. and that one it's like such a weird juxtaposition because Arthur C. Clarke seems to be in such a level of denial that Stanley Kubrick was not actually cutting him out of the process slowly as he was making the movie. You know, so it's just a different tone, but it, it, I don't know. It's funny. It's it was cool to actually have that kind of historical document from both of those guys to see what their perspective was having Stanley Kubrick adapt their material or work with them. You know, yeah, uh, it is kind of cool. And and I don't, you know, do I? I don't. I don't really blame Burgess for feeling that way. I mean, you know, who else feels the same way? Stephen King. Stephen King is the same way about The Shining. I, we probably touched on it when we talked about The Shining, but Stephen King is like he cannot stand that fucking movie. Right. He's like, this is not my fucking story. And everybody comes up to me thinking, like, that's Jack Torrance. He's like, that's not Jack Torrance. I said, sorry, Steve. And I go back to hashtag resistance, you bitch. No, I'm just joking. Is he on that train? Oh, he always, he, in, in like, in the, in the, in a Stephen Colbert kind of way, where you're like, very cringy, like, awful, just bad jokes. Just like, come on. This is just awful. This just sucks, dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's too bad that's too bad but you know 
Um, you're saying it's like pretty straightforward um, uh, as far as like Kubrick goes, right? Because uh, you were just talking about The Shining. We talked about how you just went completely the other way with it. 2001, you completely went, uh, you know, a different angle with it. We could argue you went a different angle with it. Um, yeah, the subtext is different. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but this was pretty straightforward. And I know you probably looked into this um, with, uh, you know, the pressure he was on because this is the first uh, film he did right after 2001. And he was trying to prove that everybody he can make a movie without money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the was like around two, some two million or some change like that. And um, so maybe that's part of why he just kind of stuck to the material. Because I, uh, I did read some other um, um, Avery's book where essentially he was just using the book uh, on site every day as part of like the the script. Yeah. Um, where was writing on a, on a better damn square to win, be able to give the source, be a regular old tin pool, but. Not not so much today, but yeah, no, just kind of going right off that. So I wonder if that kind of played into this fact where he thought uh, the source material was, you know, good enough and due to like you know, budget restraints and not want to spend too too much time on that. Just kind of stuck with the book because he thought that Burgess's story was interesting enough and he didn't have to take any type of you know alternate way, which we can get to later. But I which, think I, I think what played I, into like why this was so like straightforward from the source material. I think it plays into Kubrick's already like his body of work, like his themes about kind of uh, control and agency and free will and what that means. And uh, also kind of the layers of hierarchies that go on in people's lives and the state. How the, it, like, I think he actually kind of enriched certain aspects of the book, but I do think it's a very Kubrick even. I mean, I read the book after, so maybe that's projection on my part. I don't know. You know, I read the book for the first time when I was probably like 22, something like that. So, you know, I'd probably seen the movie 10 times by that time. So it's hard to separate them in my mind almost. Um, But I think the subtext and the conversation is pretty in line with a lot of the things he was obviously interested in, kind of going back all the way to like Lolita or even revisiting our conversation about Dr. Strangelove and about how the powers that be kind of control people and what that, how that manifests. Um, and especially 2001, there's a lot of stuff like that, like about who's, but it's more on a cosmic scale. It's a more broad scale, like man and God scale. Right. And then he takes it back in this is to examine. In a lot of ways, like the something he hadn't done yet, which was like kind of just uh, the youth, I suppose, like just how kids are affected by the world around them, their environment and government influence and your parents. And right. Um, it, it, because, like I said, uh, we I think we had it was right before we started recording. We said that uh, it is shockingly close, considering the rest of his adaptations. Like it's shockingly close to the source material. It is it is a, an adaptation of this book, totally, one hundred percent. And he adds his little Kubrick flavor. I think there's a few like subtle nods to certain things. He has this thing about like abuse <laughs> and like uh, sexual stuff. That's in there, and it's it's in here too. It's in every fucking movie he makes. Um, you know, going well, from I like heart back on like on The Shining bit, but when we did the uh, we did the episode on The Shining, we're talking mm-hmm. about uh, you know a history of violence, you know, recurrent uh, generation. What was the term? I think you're like generational violence, and generational trauma, generational, generational, how that you know, and it's just how that cycle you know, like begins. You know, and Alex was his parole officer, very. Mm-hmm. 
every in, uh, scene that's in there is engaged. You definitely get the, yeah, you know, he assaults him right there in his own home, you know, like a, in his, a, in his parent in his parents' bed after his parents give him the keys to the house. Like there's so many layers of implication there. You're like, uh Yeah. And then his mom, you know, dressing like way too youthful for, you know, mm-hmm. her age, wearing the different color weight. Like so definitely some type of like, you know, identity crisis or things like that. And the, mm-hmm. the dad being a complete freaking like a stiff and like it's I don't which, know. Yeah, which definitely the, the dad is played in the movie is played by a uh, Grady. Same guy who plays Grady in The Shining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 he was. <laughs> I kept, I kept wanting him to turn to the camera and be like, "They have to be taught a lesson, sir." <laughs> taught a lesson, definitely taught a lesson. <laughs> no, I think that is the stuff that's the Kubrick stuff. That is, I think, enriched the material because it added this other dimension, this other layer that is very much in theme with the philosophy of what the book is getting at. That's the nature of free will, and does that and and doesn't matter. Uh, is free will important to being a good person? It's kind of at the end of the day, right? Um, even the phrase "a clockwork orange" was just like an old English fl- phrase. Uh, Anthony Burgess kind of had his own description of. It. He said a human being is endowed with free will. He can use this to choose between good and evil. If he can only perform perform good or only perform evil then he's a clockwork orange like you are just a cog in a wheel if you can only do one of two things like a person needs to have this larger life has to have the capability the choice i guess which is something uh that's a monologue in the movie that i don't think is in the book is the priest uh he gives basically the philosophical argument about Mm -hmm. like well if you take away his choice like what do you what's happening like then this you haven't actually reformed him right you know that's true. That's true. Dude, what are you feeling your conversation tonight with? Oh. Well, since we're talking about free will and everything, I figured I'd go with some Redemption Rye. Oh. Hi, Rye Bourbon, baby. I liked it last time. Uh, Paul had recommended it last time, and that was, and I saw it at the store, and it was uh, on sale. I was like, oh, damn, sweet. 22 bucks for that? I was like, cool. Yeah, man. Redemption Rye. I like that. But don't worry. I, uh, I got that Jim Beam. I got that Jim Beam under the desk. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I've been uh, going through a lot of rise, and then uh, I had this old Scott Mulch stuck in me Gulliver, and it got me Rookers on some shoulder. Ooh, monkey shoulder. That's. You wanna? Don't don't correct me. I'm doing my bit. I'm correct you. Correct you, Sean. Yeah. No. So if you want a good blended malt Scotch whiskey. I'm telling you, this will be a good one. As far as it goes, it's uh, a little bit more than a, a Redemption Rye, but <laughs> jam. Picked this up the other day, so going through. I got to start writing these down because sometimes they're like that, that. That was a good one because you know, I mean, it's like a tank of gas. You know what I mean? It's like not going to like you know kill you, but at the same time, it's still like investment. It's still a commitment. You just you kind of. Sometimes these things are like a fancy box of chocolates. You don't want to. True. That's true. You know, so. But uh, if you're in the mood for that, go for it. That looks nice. I like the bottle. It's a nice classy yeah. bottle. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. So Monk Shoulder is actually conditioned for when uh, the uh, people distilled it and uh, getting the mash going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what it's named after. Uh, Stilled in Scotland. That's I like stuff. 
I like that it could make you laugh because of the name, but it makes you feel like important because of the way the bottle looks. <laughs> That's what I like about it. Those they got like uh, like three bronze monkeys engraved into the bottle. It's very a uh, very neat looking bottle. <laughs> when we decided yeah. to when we decided to bottle this, we decided to engrave monkeys on it to symbolize the work well, of the yeah, people. Uh, the like you don't want to you don't want to throw it away, you know. But it's like. Mm. I know, and then you end up with bookshelves covered in fucking booze bottles, and you're like, "What am? Who am I?" Yeah. <laughs> no, like I, uh, what Sarah used to have a thing for like collecting cool bottles, and at one point we we're like, "This is just out of control. Like we gotta stop this." <laughs> your whole house just looks. Aw- it just it makes you look bad. Like if people were to come to your house, they would be like, "What? Who are you? What are you doing in this house? Is this all you people do?" Like kind of. <laughs> Oh man, this um, you know reading uh, the book was pretty cool because it almost like because you were talking earlier about have you already seen the movie like ten times prior to when you read the book in your early twenties. Mm-hmm. Last time I saw this was when we were you know in uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts area. And so I was oh really, wow, so it's like so, 15, 16 years ago probably at least. Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I remember some of the you know the things everybody remembers, right? You know, singing the. Uh, rain scene and like you know and the uh, watching the videos with the eyes pried open uh but i didn't really remember a lot of that so it was really just going in and reading the book and just kind of getting that it was definitely a, a, a full of rich experience but then made me kind of go into like kind of normal like like well, what was like the political climate you know like when these things come out when we start revisiting these older films or books where is it coming out and um <laughs> The, this uh, I was reading this thing from uh, the Leeds University. So it was like the 1960s are generally uh, believed to have been a decade of rapid change in British society. It was a period of preoccupation with natural economic decline. Both conservative and labor governments attempted a variety of experiments to boost Britain's underlying growth rate and competitiveness. But most of their energies were absorbed in crisis management, and they had to fight off a series of balance of payments and currency problems. And they still had a direct fit on whether the UK should join the European Union and um, not to go on like the whole like dissertation here, but there's constant high levels of public disillusionment disillusionment with how the state should control or govern uh, its people. And so there's a lot of uh, going on there. So you kind of feel the um, feel that uh, in the uh, dystopian context of the world that um burgess uh, made for us right well because burgess yeah because burgess is referencing probably things like that he's referencing the like the the beginning of 60s free wheeling lifestyle stuff like the hedonism of the 60s and also he's making kind of overtures towards uh socialism some of the things that happened with controlled and state workers and kind of uh how the state is your parent i mean that's because that's a big theme of the book it's like the state is your parent or the yeah. activists are your parent because the parents are so aloof. They're just right. automatons. Right. And they're just like, they're just like, I wonder what he does at night for work. Well, you told me, you know, and for context in the book, at least he's, he's 15. Alex is 15 in the, at the start of the book. It ends when he's 18. Um, but so, yeah, it's, I can totally see how that would factor into kind of the world building that Burgess was going for. 100 percent and i think yeah. the movie being made post 60s era is interesting because it's like it leans into the hedonism stuff probably more than the book does although the book's pretty pretty brutal yeah 
Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's a couple murder rapes between buddies, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, these these boys were drinking milk, mother's milk. <laughs> mother's milk. They're not even that bad. They're cool guys. Man. But, uh, what, so, yeah, the book, uh, late 50s, early 60s. 63. The 63, the, the, 63, the book comes out. The movie comes out in, hold on. I can't believe I don't know this. The movie came out in 72, February 72. Yeah, yeah. And so, just real quick, just kind of put in the context of what's going on in London. England. One big pond there. Uh, in the month of February in which the film was released in 1972, protesters burned down the British Embassy in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Great Britain and Northern Ireland competed in the Winter Olympics in Japan. Um, a state of emergency was declared by health as a result of Myers' strike. The official Re- Irish Republican Army, IRA, bombed and killed six people in a barracks bombing. And, as we always do with Kubrick movies, mm-hmm. what was going on in NASA? Mariner 9 was released, <laughs> launched. So, and that's it. He was trying to cover it up. He was trying to create a controversy, a global controversy. That way, too. Yeah. So, I mean, things are spicy. Things are spicy in uh, London. Well, even, I mean, it gives the impetus for this movie to actually be banned in the UK up until like what the is it the two thousand something like two thousand one like actually be officially released not until like two thousand or something. Yeah, there was all kinds of like copycat, you know, killers or like uh, copycat uh, gang rapes or things like that where people were citing the car. And, you know, and it's it, that's also a recurrent theme throughout all of our lives. And it's blamed on uh, video games. You know, our, our man uh, Oliver Stone dealt with uh, some of that with the uh, natural born killers, right? Yes, so, actually, yeah. Which is, yeah, that's another and, one we got to get to. But. Ooh. Yeah. Well, what when we finish Kubrick, you know, we, we gotta have a honest conversation about who's next. So it could be Stone, could be Stone, but you know, I do think the Cohen brothers would be a lot of fun. But anyways, I digress. Well, we could but, have uh, Cohen brothers be like the 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 work, the structure, and then in between, you throw in a Stone movie every once in a while, yeah. maybe a Fincher movie every once in a while, maybe watch like Zodiac or something. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hey. Don't, don't, don't threaten me with a good time. But, uh, yeah, but no, uh, and I, actually, I read this really uh, cool um, article talking about how Clockwork Orange, like, uh, uh, revamped or, like, uh, emphasized, like, you know, the punk scene. Because late 60s, yeah. are, if you're a purist or not, like, when punk started, right? A lot of people were like, oh, yeah, like, the 60s, late well, 60s. It started in America, bitches, and it's the fucking, the fucking Stooges. Oh, yeah. Fucking, yeah. Yeah, like don't yeah. even like these fuckers these these brit pop fucks they think they forget the clash came out in like the late 70s go fuck yourself it was the stooges it was the new york dolls uh we own that shit you don't get to own punk uk you get maybe oh yeah you get the rock and roll even though it was all americans that went over to england to establish that but whatever i'm just saying our man stanley kubrick american man new yorker goes over to england make better that, films than do yeah. you know yeah so Get a show how it's done. And that's why I love Zubak Nature. Zubak Nation, man. So we're uh, just a bunch of patriots, man. That's right. <laughs> yeah, there we do. Fuck okay. it. So I don't care. I don't care how long the revolution was. Go fuck yourself. We'll take your vote freedom away from ourselves. We don't need your ass. We don't need your shit. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
both the time of the book and when the movie was released, things were spicy. They were. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of in a it, like you know they are reflections of their time. It is a projection from an artist, like probably seeing things in the world and the, then responding to material. In the case of Stanley Kubrick, seeing how Clockwork Orange is prescient, maybe even a little prophetic. I mean, I think it's kind of crazy how prescient I felt the movie was uh, watching it uh, now. Especially just all the turmoil that's going on in the world. You're like, okay, well, this is kind of what this is. This is a little bit of like these ideological cults. Uh, people kind of just responding mechanically because of, of, of social media. Because, you know, that's a big, another big component of the book is, is, uh, is, the, is acting mechanically. This is actually not thinking about things. Not choosing things. Just doing things. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, just because like you think you should or that's your role or whatever. Um, and especially with when it comes to younger people, I think on both sides of the ideological spectrum, whether you're a fucking like Antifa black block or you're Charlie Kirk, like, you know, these fucking uh, new Republicans, it's the same kind of thing. They're kind of sycophantic, you know, in a weird way. Uh, not to, And these people, and if you really get into what's going on in the book and in the movie, and I think the movie actually fairly represents it. Uh, you're seeing that you're seeing that these the droogs through Alex mostly. Alex is obviously the smartest of them. He's the most intelligent, right? Uh, he's like he's basically the he's like I'm going to save Western culture guy, you know, because that's a, his appreciation of art, his appreciation of music. Obviously, is a big part of the thing. He's obviously really well read. He's kind of just bored with school, which leads him to try to find other things to stimulate himself. No pun intended. Um, so I, I saw a lot of parallels, I guess, to some things that are going on in the world today. You know, granted, maybe that's projection, 100%, but probably not because I'm always right. So, yeah. Did you see, did you catch any of that? Like any of the kind of the youth culture feeling or am I just blowing, am I just fucking out there? Well, youth culture and in, in the terms of what? Because I mean, like in terms of like rebellion, like rebellious youths. Mm-hmm. Like yes, rebellious use, but they're they're mindlessly motivated. It's not like they're revolutionaries in the sense of where there is like a goal that they understand and it's clear, and they're fighting for something specific. It's very nebulous. Don't you hate racism, dog? Well, let's burn down this gas station. <laughs> like you know, it's not it, these things do not add up. The, the types of behaviors of people. And like you can make them, there is some sort of like sense of like you know like kind of black block outrage with the, like especially with like the droogs because they're kind of just lashing out at the older generations and intelligentsia people right they go to the few people that we see them attack in the um, in the movie at least is rich people they're not just they're not like I mean they beat up a bum because a bum is singing a song hearkening back to the old days mm-hmm. right like he's 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 fantasizing or thinking of himself when he was relevant in the uh in the glory of right. like some past event and that really kind of enrages alex it makes him mad yeah because this is no country for old men right? yeah. yeah but yeah but also in the book of the attack which i think is interesting uh, but it, they don't it's not in the film uh is like a, a professor and he has a, like a series of books and they determine like look at what he's reading and then just completely like rip up the books and just you know whoop, whoop this shit out of them as well yeah because they have a they have a disdain for uh, the establishment 
like no matter in whatever form it takes. So if you have an old bum kind of reminding them of the establishment, you have like these these old artists and their nice houses out in the country. Uh, you have this like the woman with the cats and all the expensive like jewels and art and stuff like that. Uh, for some, I mean, there is the John Malik statues in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> Kubrick's like, yeah, where am I gonna put my dicks? I got it. Yeah, there's no shortage of dicks. No shortage of dicks. Oh, there's dicks out. Even Alex Mask, the long nose, looks like a fucking dick. <laughs> Pinocchio, because he's like you know lying about breaking into the house. It's not a dick. Oh, oh, that's that too. But like that that got your mind in the gutter there, son. Got your mind in the gutter there, boy. No dicks allowed in this podcast. <laughs> no dicks allowed in this Kubrick film. Castrate <laughs> this man. He's a sick. He's a deviant. <laughs> Watching okay. cuties talking about <laughs> dicks in movies. It's <laughs> like them. And liking them. Yeah. He thinks they mean something. This sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there's just there's dicks everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And all of Kubrick's work, I think, because he uses it like in the in the traditional Kubrick film. Like you'll you'll get it. You'll get it. Well, I think he uses it in the more like classical intellectual sense of like meaning a symbol for uh, like the patriarchy in the actual sense of a patriarchy, not in the kind of way we might use it today, but like a patriarchal force being kind of overbearing. He's constantly, a lot of his characters, a lot of his male characters in his movies are very aggressive. They're like very sexually aggressive a lot of times as well. Yeah. Um, and that's all, that's the theme with him. So I think he, and that's kind of his, I guess, you know, maybe his, uh, what do you want to call it? Like a like his douchey like hat tip. Be like, <laughs> I'm very smart. I'm not one of these people, even though he kind of was. Uh, he was one of these aggressive male douchebags. Yeah. Well, I think any guy born, you know, like when was he born in the forties? Yeah, or thirties, late thirties, I think, right? Like so, I mean, like uh, I think they all are because I mean that's just part of like. Uh, I'd be born that time well, frame. Like, he's well. He's also famous for just being a suit. Oh, he's born in 1928. Actually, uh, he he's just famous for being a very tough, aggressive director. Like, let's do a hundred takes. I don't give a fuck if we're here for two weeks. Like, you know, didn't Malcolm McDowell, the guy who played Alex, um, in the film, didn't he have like some issues with him? Uh, yes and no. It was like a love relationship he has issues after the fact because they were very very close when they made the movie like intimately right. close he was like his son right and then once the movie was over he just like never talked to him again well, it's like a condom you know <laughs> get, get over yourself did you really think you're at that kubrick level you just want to keep her i mean this guy hey, malcolm mcdowell the man was on a budget come on just take it for what it was and just move on with your life you had a good time. You got yours, okay? Yeah. Fucking move on. In the breakup, you know, he could have had a part in uh, his later yeah. works. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you could have been Grady, you know? So, but no. Maybe. Maybe. You no, know, you never know. You know, we're a half hour in. I gotta say this because I'll get, be mad at myself if I don't say it. But I couldn't help myself because it was the first thing he did after 2001. And how, remember how we talked about 2001 uh, opening up with, you know, the dark screen and then that, you know, ominous music playing in the background. Like this one, like red screen, red is obviously the color of, you know, alerts, you know, danger. And then yeah, uh, like the, the funeral 
um, it was actually first posted in 1695. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I looked that up. Um, that I don't know why I remember that date. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, and I'm trying to think out. So, like, what do you think about playing? You know, the Queen. Uh, it was like Queen Elizabeth II's uh, funeral song, like yeah. start up that. Cause that's a prominent like theme song throughout there. He's got it, it is true. That, so. I think you could consider it like the main theme of the movie, pretty much. I mean, it is the most recognizable thing. I, you know, in my in my uh, my dalliances with like making little skits and stuff like that, I've used that song several times. I just think it's a a perfectly weird, like light but very ominous piece of music, right. especially doing the way they did it with kind of the synth versions. Um. I'm not sure, like what the, the the reason was. Maybe it's kind of it's kind of like the they represent death. They represent the death of like you know whatever they whatever they approach, whatever they come to, they kind of have a an eye towards destruction. I think the way it starts, the way it does, with like that, it's like red. But I think you could probably maybe argue it's like a really deep orange. Is that? I think it's like it's one of these two thousand one things where he's like implicating the audience. He's like, "You are a clockwork orange. That's you. I'm telling you now. You see orange. You're controlled. You know, because that's a very seems like a very Kubrick thing to do. You know. Yeah. I don't think I'm talking. I don't know that for sure. I've never heard anybody confirm that. That's like my own opinion, especially yeah. relative to what you said about the two thousand one, which was like this place setter, this mood setter, but it's also more than that. Because I think we both kind of came to the conclusion, I don't want to speak for you, but like that is, you're looking at the monolith. His movie is the monolith. Like that is what they're, he's saying. It is this doorway to this other way of thinking, this other life changing paradigms. That's what he felt the movie was. Right. Or, you know, in a meta sense. Well, yeah. And then getting you to look like, here's your, like, what your reaction would be, right? Uh, without even thinking about it, like, uh, uh, consciously, like later on, like if I saw this monolith in person for the first time, what would my reaction be? Well, like, well, you kind of had that already when you were looking at the monolith before this even started, before you even knew it. How'd you feel then? You know, so like, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I, I just definitely took it. Uh, this one with some um, clockwork orange is just basically like, uh, just just setting the tone because you're looking at. It, I think it's about a minute long. It is uh, the when, credits, yeah. Yeah, but about that, and just kind of going going right into it, you know, and then in that great open scene with the Grover Milk Bar, um, you know, that that was good. Just like really, like really, kind of set up the whole scene. Well, it put it just set, it sets the mood perfectly. You just like it feels, you know, and that's the cool thing about watching the movie and then reading the book. Like they line up so well. Like when I'm reading the book, like I can just hear the music. I just see those characters. Like I think the movie actually kind of nails that stuff. Well, actually, you know what fucked me up about reading the book? What was uh, the uh, the outfits they're wearing? Because they each had like a codpiece. One was like a spider. One, you know. Yeah. Or, like all that other stuff like that. And I do remember, I'm like, oh, they're just wearing all white and stuff like that. And this one. Really well, they do have like uh, the cufflinks that are like eyeballs. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like some viscera, like rubber fake viscera stuff on some of their suspenders. That yeah, could have been a budget thing, right? Like, as you said, it's really low budget. It's also the eyeball thing is like at the peak of a triangle on your cufflink. Right. It's like the all seeing eye like yeah. type of reference. Like, because he, there's tons of pyramid references. There's tons of like things like that, like hierarchy structures. 
that is constant that's all over the movie like even in shadows that characters will form like triangles right in classic kubrick form like the most like tedious meticulous guy like that's just all over the movie working on you subconsciously but i didn't even ask you like what did did you like the movie like coming back to it watching it this time so long afterwards and after experiencing the book like did you like the movie um uh well i love the movie yeah me too Uh, I love the movie, mm-hmm. and um, coming to this round now, I'm like, you know, watching as an adult, just really, really just taking on, mm-hmm. on, on a different level with that whole, I love exploring the whole concept of, uh, if you don't have free will, you know, what the hell are you, mm-hmm. and then also the underlying, um, you know, caution, um, cautionary tale of, you know, the powers of the state and the programs mm-hmm. that they, you know, in which they'll implement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why we did 80, 1984, right, to kind of talk yeah, because I think there's there's a little bit of there's a little bit of crossover, right? There is a just this dystopian sense, like you know, that's really not. I I think philosophically, that's not what the book is not as concerned with that stuff, but it's definitely yeah. there. I think it's more in the movie that is probably more concerned with it because they pay so much attention to the way the minutia of bureaucracy, like especially during like like the prison stuff, and then during the Ludovico treatment section of the movie. Um. There's so much attention to detail paid to just like, you know, having to stand on the line and like the way that the officer acts, uh, the guy that's like kind of the prison officer who honestly, I don't know if I was just in a weird mood, but it was this movie is fucking hysterical. Like, it's a really funny movie. <laughs> that's that's kind of like what I, what I would get into, uh, like a little bit, too, because it was just because uh, I. I think he sent me the like the Rob Ager thing where mm. he was saying that like Alex is full of shit throughout the whole movie uh, from like when he was like cured moving on. Did you send me that? I did not send you that, but you did find that on your own. Yeah, the Ludovico mm-hmm. lie. I actually just watched. I watched part of it like a couple hours ago. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah. There, there's a bit of that, but like I, but like uh, what I love about, um, uh, well, I love the fact. Uh, thank you for like getting me onto the Rob Ager guy. Like he oh, he's awesome. Really- the way yeah. he breaks down things is just like, how did you even look or like think to look there? Like, why? <laughs> well, it's because he's seen it like literally a million times, and he's got <laughs> like the books and the archives, and he goes to London to look at the stuff and goes through everything. Like, and he's like also uh he's like uh he works at, in, in like mental institutions. I think he works with the mentally ill. Okay, that's kind of what he does for his day job, and then he does these movie analysis stuff on the back end. Man. I like I've said. I, I'm not a big Patreon person. I don't pa- patronize many creators and stuff, but Rob Ager gets three bucks a month for me. I just like his work, so I'm just like, yeah, fuck it, here, three bucks. Well, not to get too off topic, I love the uh, dabs and uh, Crazy gives a Predator. Oh, yeah. Predator. He's got, he's got, do you see a shit on the Predator? I have. Of course I have. <laughs> he just came out with a slew of stuff I, about I, Alien. Now there's a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I went down a rabbit hole with that. I was just like, "Oh my god, yeah!" It just he convinces you that the movie was even better than what you thought it was, right? And I already it's, love Predator, so I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It was, it was really good, but no, but he did a great job with the Clockwork Orange one, talking about like the cartoony mm-hmm. violence when they had the, like the rival gang, just everything being over the top. Yeah, and then, uh, and then you know the really dramatic, you know, whiny violin scenes when like and we're supposed to feel like you know, oh poor Alex, you know. Well, it's melodramatic. Uh, it's melodramatic. It's funny because it's yeah. like it's like the, you can like literally see somebody behind him and like 
you know, yeah. like strumming the violin and be like, you poor bastard. And it's laughing at you. It's fucking laughing at Alex. Yeah, like, you know, like, what what you think was going to happen? You know, this is what you get, you know. So, and that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was actually, that sentiment right there, like, what do you think you're going to get? That was in the book. They didn't do that movie. When, after mm-hmm. Alex undergoes the Levica treatment, they're doing the uh, the demonstration there. Yeah. He says, um, you know, he actually says the title, like, you know, what am I, just some clockwork orange? Am I this, you know? all that and then you know like you made your decisions you don't have to you know there's like this whole like lecturing bit at him about you know this is what you get for the crimes that you've done that wasn't there in the book but uh in the film but you know was it in there like through the you know, the um the layering of you know the music and then the like dramatic sequence of how it because yeah. it's way more distinct in the in the film I think um, I think that's just like something that works in the book because you need to have that like you need to actually have the conversation. But in the movie, I think because of the visual components, like it is enough. I, in, there's just enough implied that for him to say, what am I a clockwork orange would be very on the nose. Right. <laughs> it reminds me of that. Uh, that. Uh, oh, what's it? The upper. You remember the upright citizens brigade? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the fucking sketch where it's like this guy who works at a, a movie rental place and he keeps telling this other dude, like, I have the titular line in Star Wars. <laughs> you know, do you remember that? And then he will oh, just fill. <laughs> we talked about 2001. You brought up this bit then, too. <laughs> oh, did I really? Oh, shit. <laughs> but it's well, okay. there you go. Plays into the theme of reoccurrence, you know? Because so. that would be like, you know, if Malcolm McDowell, if he had to say, like, what am I, a clockwork orange? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be cheesy as fuck. But yeah, they they basically put they put that that speech in the does change. It does change a little Mm -hmm. bit because even after in the book, even after like Mm -hmm. undergoing the Levico treatment and then asking for justice, Mm -hmm. like uh, right there before he's even Mm -hmm. released out there, and then getting like scolded too, and then and but in the film, completely goes goes along with Mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? That is that that is a difference. There is, I think there is, there's definitely subtle differences, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the last chapter that's not in, included in this story. It's like you have to build Alex to be a slightly different character for that last chapter to make sense. Uh, the Kubrick version, while I think is a very faithful adaptation for the most part, is a much more cynical version of the story. Much more cynical. Like it just does not have interest... It's not interested in saying things will get better. Whereas in the book, spoiler alert, everybody, uh, chapter 21 is about uh, Alex growing up and being like, I'm growing out of this. I'm not this person. Maybe I am more than just this. I'm more than just these base needs and impulses. I have desires that are more adult. I want to go have dinner with my friend and his wife. Like, Okay, so chapter 21, right? In a nutshell, if you haven't read chapter 21, he gets on with his life. He actually tries to get new drugs. He tries to go ahead yeah. and go back to business as normal because I'm a free man. I got this and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go through this. And then he decides like on his own that I'm not getting anything out of this. This is not tickling my fancy anymore. The ultra violence is done. The uh, whatever they're lacing my milk with now is not you know doing the trick anymore. I, I had enough. I had enough. Mm-hmm. Now I'm gonna go on. I'm thinking about maybe I want a child. 
I want to do this. I, I want to grow. Mm-hmm. But the real catalyst to go into that direction mm-hmm. is when he meets one of his former troops um, mm-hmm. that is married. And then saying himself and then his mm-hmm. uh, wife, you know, making fun of um, their mm-hmm. uh, Natset uh, dialect. Like, Did you really used to talk like this? It, you know, they yeah. get kind of, it's kind of a little embarrassed. Like, oh, wow. I like you think I'm a joke. You know, I was the shit. I was the shit. And you're like, you know, husband, you know, was one of my droogs. I actually, fun fact, I whooped the shit out of him because he thought about usurping me. Him and yeah, exactly. uh, you know, Billy, you know, fuck those guys. But then that was really callous of this. And then he decides to move on and like, oh, I can grow, I can grow up. And then, and thus, like the theme of like, uh, you know, free will, can we, like, move on? Can we be, uh, can we actually be a good person without it? Or, you know, if you take that away, you know, what are you? You're nothing. Well, but so then, you know, Birch is, eventually says, like, you know, you can have, like, a rough path, but, you know, free will, you can get yeah, there. you can grow we- up. You're allowed to grow up. You're allowed to make mistakes. It's, you could say, in a, in a weird way, in context of the novel, it's the first time Alex actually has, like, agency. There's not some sort of control mechanism, whether it's the context of society or the, the way the state's treating him or the way these activists end up treating him as well, because they're just another... Uh, faction of people trying to control him in a certain way. Trying, they actually a lot of the stuff with the activist mirrors uh, his prison experience. Um, and I think that's the point of the book. You know, yeah. I don't. But you didn't. You don't like. You do you not like the story with that final chapter. Um, I I don't think like uh like like I like I like I get it. Uh, I can totally understand like why people like no like just cut it out because I, I think it makes it boring, you know. Um, I'm not well. I'm, listen, I don't need, I don't need <laughs> <laughs> to give me like I like about watching that to feel like okay yeah maybe 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 there's hope you know I, you know when we did 1984 and I talked about how the film betrays oh, it's, a, it's kind of by it's giving kind, an option. yes. Right, and, and yeah. I just like, it's just like that's fucking dumb. Well, then maybe Kubrick should have adapted 1984. Then Paul, I'm sure Dude, it would have been know, awesome. You know, it it probably would have been. It probably would have been. So, but it it's just like uh, you know, for yeah, but that, uh, don't book, you think I, I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to the book, but from like the the, the movie experience, I'm glad it ain't dope. Because where where are you going to go with that? Oh, the the movies, <laughs> it's. It's perfect the way it is. Like I would never want that last chapter in the movie. Never. Yeah. I do. Th- I do think it undermines the intention of the the book, though. I listen. I think the last chapter of A Clockwork Orange, the novel that I totally own. No, no, no faking. Uh, okay. is corny as fuck. Like yeah. it is a different tone. It's almost like he wrote it a year later. That's what it feels like. But I also understand that it is kind of the point of the story, like Burgess's version of the story. That's much, that's his point. That's what the point he's trying to make about like this idea. If Alex has the free will to choose and actually just has the space and doesn't have all these control mechanisms, he's not a clockwork orange. Like that's all bad or all good that a normal person will kind of just like self-actualize and even out like most people do. Like we're all kids. Like we're all fucking drugs when we're kids. I mean, not maybe not, you know, quite as bad, but like, you know, you're breaking property, you're fucking doing donuts in a parking lot somewhere. Like you're just being wild. You're, you're drinking. Like you remember remember when we like raped two 10 year old girls, right? Yeah. You remember that, right? Look at at us now. No, fuck that. 
Fuck that shit, man. Because that's the thing. Well, it's an extreme example, Paul. It's an extreme example. More, way more gruesome, and I hate the fact that in chapter twenty-one that you're supposed to fucking like, oh yeah, th- th- this is good though. He uh, like on his own, I'm like the fuck that. You know what I thought? You know what was crazy when in my sense memory because it had been you know ten years since I read the book, and when I came back to it this time, I thought there was a time jump. I was like, he's eighteen in chapter twenty-one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I'm like, they should have made him like twenty-five, <laughs> like you know. Yeah. 15 at the start of the story, 18 when he gets out of prison with the activists, and then just have a time jump. Like, just jump in time 10 years, please. Because, like, it does not play if you're like, well, he's 18 now. He's a man. Okay? He can vote now. We didn't get a, we didn't even give a shout out. Usually do a bit by uh, who directed it, who's in it, and everything. Oh, well, people, it's Clockwork Orange, baby. I mean, come on. It's Clockwork Orange, right? But. I, I think it's important that you know we give a shout out. To you, want, you, you want you want to give okay? I'll give the the particulars as I call it. Today we're going to be talking about the 1971 film A Clockwork Orange, directed by Stanley Kubrick, <laughs> screenplay by Stanley Kubrick, adapted from a novel of the same name by Anthony Burgess. It stars Malcolm McDowell, Patrick McGee, Michael Bates, Warren Clark, John Clive, Adrian Corey, Carl During, Clive Francis, Miriam Carlin, and others. The plot synopsis, the logline from IMDb, goes as follows. In the future... A sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct aversion experiment, but it doesn't go as planned. There you go. That's Clockwork Orange, everybody. That's what I would normally do in the beginning. Yeah, that's my daily videos. That's like I got it. I got it good now. <laughs> Subscribe to daily videos, okay? And the, like, when I listen to this, pretend that I wasn't part of the conversation. It's going to fuck me up when I start up. Like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, what are we, what are we right, right? You know, Paul's, are we you know, to? everybody, Paul's right. Like sometimes you got to pay your due diligence to the to the format gods. The format gods are gonna be like, this is not format. What have you done? There's probably some sad guy who was like, oh, I thought I was listening to Zoobox goes to the movies. I'm just listening to two guys talk. Fuck yeah. that. What are they even yeah. talking about? It, now, 54 minutes in, they're like, oh, we're talking about a Clockwork Orange. <laughs> No, no, really. I just want to. I just want to talk about Darth Vader being in it. That's all. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I know. It's you know. It's it's. I really. I like the movie more than I like the book. Oh fuck yeah! I think the book is kind of a. Absolutely. It's a slog because the movie is so like visually interesting and so like exciting and visceral, and the book. Like I probably maybe I agree with Burgess. It's like, dude, this is not my best stuff. Like, please read something else I wrote. <laughs> like, it's it's okay. It's not bad by any stretch of imagination. It's not a bad book or anything. Consistent. So he made up a language, right? Yeah. And he also made it a point to point out that like that was like you know that gangs like language to do this and it was, uh, and it, it represented like you know an arc of like the mindset that character was in, and that was part of like growing up was to ditch that right so just coming up with that in, in a consistent manner it, it was like it was incredible like it, well, it's the fact, very... that the, the fact that the root suffix of fucking nasdaq actually means teen is impressive yeah. like he was not he's a he's a good he's got a brain on him guys he's galaxy brain okay <laughs> like incredibly intelligent dude like uh and it, and it was it uh it, it 
like I'm not gonna lie, I said in the beginning, it was hard to get into like listening. It was really hard to do, but once you do, um, it's good. And he's very detailed and it's very graphic. And like you felt that you did see, you know, you did see the universe that he was painting, you know, uh, that world that you're like stepping into. Well, that's um, the thing. It's like, to me, it was like reading uh, Shakespeare when you're a kid. It really helps if you've seen like a Shakespeare movie or play, because you can kind of like then you in, you can in your mind's eye, the voice that's in your head when you're reading something, like you understand the rhythm. If you're just like a teenager reading a fucking Shakespeare play at, in high school, that's boring. That doesn't work. They should show kids show kids a play or a movie first. I'm like, this is how it's spoken. This is the rhythm of it. This is how yeah. it works. For reference in your head, and it puts it into context. Yeah, it's like it's like reading some foreign fucking language in a vacuum, and you're trying to pick up the nuances of it, and it just doesn't it doesn't play right. I think yeah. having watched the movie before reading the book, you know, watching it so many times as a teenager, when I finally did get to the book, it just kind of clicked. I just kind of got it. Like I understood what they were talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm also you know. I'm super cool. So, super cool, super smart. You pick up, pick up on so many things so fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. My life is just a audio books are like double and a half speed, and I'm like rewinding chapters. Like, oh, fuck? dude, I got, I got to rewind chapters sometimes. So, <laughs> but at one point five speed, though, I get it done faster, even if I got to rewind. Yeah, it depends on the no. It's for that's all depends on the reader. There are some people that read super slow. Like, there's some people that are like stomping whomping stealing and then there's some people like stomping whomping stealing you can't do that with those guys but the the first guys you can be like fucking doubled speed bitch like i don't have time for your fucking failed failed theater actor dreams like let's go (laughs) are you listening you're listening to the dune are you listening to the dune audiobook i'm gonna switch over to dune after i I picked up the wild card series again oh that's right yeah Dune is, Dune is pretty good. You can't go more than 1.25 with that guy because it is a performance, and then there's other actors in it too. So, well, right with Wild Cards and Anthology, so he has like several different art um, yeah. people on. Yeah, like it's you, you can't do it. You can't. Do another, it I know this is a tangent, but another hot recommend: Audible only. Okay, The Sandman. They just like a 10 hour, fully acted, fully produced like audio play. Based on Neil Gaiman's comic book series Sandman. Okay, I I got it. It. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. No, I, I'll do it. I, I have a punch list that I need to knock out. Uh, one of my colleagues is sending me all these fucking short, like uh, sci fi ones too. They says are really good. Um, and I'm just like, all right. I'm, uh, you I know, oh, dude, you should get a fucking. You know, I just started it. I just started the audiobook because I read the book years ago and I was like, I don't need to read this again, but I'll listen to it. Um, I got it on Audible. Paul Giamatti reads A Scanner Darkly. Oh, no shit. Do, do you remember the movie with Keanu Reeves and stuff? Okay. Yeah. Ooh, okay, maybe someday we got to do that because that would be fun. Because uh, that movie's only good if you've read the book. <laughs> but Paul Giamatti is great. He's the perfect, perfect guy to read that. Uh, Paul Giamatti is like one of those people I see like in Hollywood that like I like. Like I want to be friends with in real life. Well, he's he's and you you're curious about like why didn't you get here? Because uh, he's somebody's kid. That's why. <laughs> he's like a famous agent's kid. That's how Paul Giamatti has a career. Uh, uh, I'm trying to 
him in real life, dude. I can't. He's not gonna be friends with me if you're talking shit about him. Man. I know. You know what's funny? Another tangent. I got in a fight with Devin Sawa. Do you remember uh, Idle Hands? No. Uh, do you remember Final Destination? No. Well, <laughs> then this is not gonna be. So, so washed up, Jonathan. That was like walk- a teeny, like um, teeny murder. Guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jonathan Taylor Thomas uh, generation of uh, Wait, teen what's actors. What's his name again? D E V O N S A W A. Devin Sawa. You got a like a Twitter fight with him? Yeah. Oh, he, he thought he pwned me. He thought he pwned me. That's and now I got my mentions are full of uh, <laughs> fucking. Devin Sawa fanboys. <laughs> and now I, I'm inundated with these people. And uh, this guy think he got he thinks he got me, and he I only tell you Paul, he did not. <laughs> he made he made this joke. Okay. You know, um Ruth Gator uh, Ginsburg died. Binsburg, whatever her fucking name is. RGB. She's dead. She died, Paul. I don't know if you're you're dark, so I don't know. Joe, uh, yeah, no, okay, go, keep going, please. The Supreme Court justice woman, she's I, dead. I'm very aware of who she is. Oh, okay, she's dead. She's kaput. This guy makes a joke, and he's like one of these like politically <laughs> active. <laughs> he's one of these politically fucking woke, like hashtag the resistance, like washed up D list actors. Well, and, he's a fucking Canadian, dude. I just fucking googled him. Oh, he lives in America right now. Okay, I'm sure he can vote. Um, he's lived in America for a very long time. I'm so happy we stopped getting actors from Canada, by the way. Now we go from Australia. That's about the time to get back to fucking nationalistic, only American actors. <laughs> we have a good one? I mean, I, I, th- I think Ryan Reynolds is cool, but I mean, like, what's a Canadian actor? Because now that you mention it, I don't fucking know. There's a lot of them, Paul. I mean, there's there's a lot of them. They're Jim secret. Canadian? Yeah, Jim Carrey's Canadian, yeah. yeah fuck him. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Yeah, Unless if we're talking 1995, The Mask, Jim Carrey. Anyways, let me let me tell you something. Oh, let sorry. me let me tell you this joke this dude made. I might even have to bring it up. I don't want to get it wrong. I, want, I wouldn't want to disrespect Devin Sawa. Um, <laughs> if I can find it now, because I have so many mentions of all his, the Sawa fans, they're coming after me hard, Paul. They're just like. Oh yeah, they're like they he like <laughs> he posted another joke that I made and said like cuz I said okay, he writes BIG to RBG at the gates of heaven. So you're the other notorious one? I just retweet this guy. I say uh what did I say? Uh Devin Sawa is kind of a fucking weirdo, guys. That's <laughs> 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 so so I say so he comes back at me, uh, and he just he 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 retweets me, but he has a picture. And I wrote a joke a few days ago about Amber Heard. Do you know who Amber Heard is? The actress. She was married to Johnny Depp. There's all this drama. There's, they're going through some big divorce drama, like wild stories, as you as you might imagine would happen with drug addicted alcoholics, as you might imagine. So I wrote. There's a somebody posted a smoking picture of Amber Heard. So I said, I mean, I probably let her shit in my bed, I guess is what I'm saying. Whatever, I gotta wash her and dry her, I'll be good. Like it's a 
you know, a joke as a reference to the fact that she shit in Johnny Depp's bed. <laughs> so he thinks he's like, oh, that's weirdo creep behavior. This is going to be a while. Hold on. <laughs> uh, where is it? Um, so I, what did I say in response? Oh my God, where is it? I got him good too. I'm trying to find a buddy. I'm sorry, man. Dude <laughs> up, man. Well, you can fix this up in post. No, the people got to experience this for real. This is real time. This is happening now. Um, okay. I've been I've been drinking. Like this is what's happening. Clockwork is great. Uh, no, he said I was like, and then he reposted that. So then I retweet him again, his repost, and I say, he also isn't a big fan of actual jokes. But then again. Uh, it's what I said wasn't as funny as the fanatic, which is a movie he made with uh, <laughs> with John Travolta last year. That was like the worst movie of the year, but like ironically fun to watch. <laughs> uh, and then I said, I would say this is an example of punching down, but it's just clout chasing weirdo Devin Sawa. <laughs> And then I find these other people that were like being weird about RBG. So I wrote, hey, I just found these and thought Devin could reappropriate them and pass them off as his own at some point. Might want to wait a day or two, make it seem fresh. <laughs> uh, and, and the tweets in, in, that I brought up were RBG greeting Chadwick, king. Chadwick greeting RBG, queen. <laughs> these people are writing this stuff on Twitter, like blue checkmarked actual people. And then this other one was like, just told my 10-year-old daughter about RBG. She had tears in her eyes. And then she did the Wakanda pose and said, Ruth Conda forever, which sort of pop culture crossover that I can celebrate. Now, we all know that didn't happen. But I figured Devin Sawa might want to see it so he can do like a joke, a variation of that in a couple days with his own child. Oh, and, and then these bitches, these all the, all, the, the Sawa, I call them the Sawaners. That's how I've dubbed them. They all like you. I did not know they would. He would have like this crazy fan base that was like, that was like, yeah, whatever, loser. Like that's what they'll stop to write. And I'm like, come on, guys, at least try a little bit. Like at least try. Somebody was like, wait, why are you clout chasing on Devin Sawa? I was like, clout chasing. The like, fuck I was is trying to. They're wait, like, wait. like they're, 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 somebody said there there are less embarrassing ways to try to promote your podcast, and I was like, honestly, I hadn't even thought about that. But if I had. I definitely wouldn't be talking to Devin Sawa. (laughs) And these people, and they don't get it. They can't, they can't hear the fucking joke. They don't understand it. Like it just uh, doesn't come out. Like they just don't get it. Those followers are probably stupid Canadians. Dude, somebody, somebody just wrote me something, Paul, just moments ago. He said, I'm not cultured enough to know the notorious RBG or is it Biggie? Which one are you not familiar with that you don't get the reference, you dirty lint licking weirdo? As if I didn't under, as if I didn't get the joke. Like this is the sad thing, Paul. They think I don't get the joke, other than just thinking that it's a fucking cringy, fucking woke white guy joke. No, it's not because I don't get the joke, everybody. It's because I think it's a fucking like it is a hashtag resistance lame joke. You people got to fucking sharpen your tools, okay? But listen, you're going to make me vote for Donald Trump. That's what's going to happen. People like De- Devin Sawa fucking 
chase me into the arms of Papa fucking Trump. That's what happens, okay, when people like Devin Sawa open their mouths and have an opinion and people retweet it. That's what happens, okay? And then I had some lady, and then after that, I get these people that are all about, there's like this crew of people that are, uh, they're like, Johnny Depp has been abused. He's a victim of domestic abuse. We have to sign a petition to get Amber Heard fired from everything she's ever been in. So they start tagging me too. And I just said, <laughs> and I said, what was I? I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. So many of stupid shit. I was so, this was this afternoon. Oh, I said, I said, I sure will sign this as soon as Devin Sawa does, does, and then retweets it out of, <laughs> out to all of his Sawaners. You're right. It's time to take a stand against domestic abusers. Because I want Devin Sawa, Hollywood fuckboy who makes direct-to-video movies and TV shows, I want him to retweet this petition to this high-profile actress that she should be fired from Aquaman 2. Let's <laughs> fucking sack up Devin Sawa. He's abused Johnny Depp. Uh, she's not. She's no good, okay? She's shit in his bed, as my first joke, as the joke that started all this will tell you. Okay, she's shit in his bed. You know, you know good guy Sean over here making jokes. Granted, yeah. okay? This is not a great joke. In light of a spicy situation and just got a whole lot harder. <laughs> and I am here for it. Queen. Uh, like, it's Devin Sawa is... <laughs> now he's on my shit list. <laughs> not really, actually. It was so much fun, like, starring with somebody that... Sawa. I just like how that sounds. Listen, like, you're I... I don't have a, I'm not a big Twitter guy. Like I don't get a lot of, I don't like interact on Twitter a lot. There's some people that like, like movies and stuff that I'll interact with. I do mostly just movie stuff on Twitter and, uh, I don't really get like political or anything that very often. And I, that wasn't even political. That's just like, you made a bad joke. You're a fucking weirdo. Like making a notorious BIG joke and an RBG joke because people called her notorious RBG because they're fucking lame. The joke itself is lame. Anyways, I can't explain it anymore. I'm ruining it. But anyways, fucking A Clockwork Orange. What a great movie. Um, so, chapter 21, where we were at before the Sawa business. And I'm going to talk to you after this about that. I, I got some following up on that. Chapter 21, the book. Did you enjoy it as part of the book? Because we, we both agree at this point, we both agree that the movie was awesome. And it's... It's our preference, like you know, over the book. Granted, we can both understand that they're two different experiences, a reading yeah. experience and a viewing experience, right? I get that, but just in terms of like the story, right? So, tw chapter twenty-one, in terms of like just not taking the movie uh, out of the picture, chapter twenty-one. What did it do anything for you? I think relative to the book, other than like the weird, I felt like there was a tonal shift in the writing. Which is why I said earlier it felt like he wrote it like a year later. There's like it's almost like a, it's from a different perspective, which I guess is the point. Yeah, but it did not feel organic. It feels like stuffed in there. Um, I think the point of it is fine. Like I understand the point of it. I just don't understand uh, like the the very dramatic shift. Like it didn't feel earned in the book. It just doesn't feel earned um, in those last moments. Although. In fairness to Burgess, I think he did see that stuff. We talked about that a little bit earlier, wherein Alex is a slightly different character in the book. He's a little more nuanced. He's a little bit more aware of what he's doing. 
He's a little bit more culturally aware. Where the movie feels like a angry screed against the world and the angry screed against like a generational trauma. Like Alex is constantly referencing history and seeing himself as a violent abuser in within history, which is kind of like the subtext of like, uh, where did I come from? What's my legacy? Right. I come from this. I come, we live in a brutal world. People are brutal people. Even when it comes to Jesus, we are fucking brutal. Doesn't matter. I am part of that. You know? Um, so I think, I think, you know, honestly, I just think it, the ideas work in the book, but I don't like the writing of the last chapter. That's probably what I would say. I do. I like uh, Kubrick being the cynical person that he is leaving it out. Makes sense. I, I guarantee you he was aware of it. It's perfectly. The film ends perfectly. Yeah, I'm cured, y'all. Right? Like, I, I just... Which it, is the end of chapter 20. Yeah. That's the last line of chapter 20, if I'm not mistaken. And just, like, kind of, like, looking at it, just, like, reading it, I'm taking out the movie itself, like, I, I really didn't need that in my life. Also, really just, like, uh, McDowell's performance. Like, really, like, this really great, like, tongue-in-cheek, mischievous... Especially at the end there. I love that. Oh, I was cured all right. And then it just fucking cuts to orange. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Like, it really is perfect. Like, that stuff. And that's another thing with this, I would say, with this movie. It's like, it's perfectly cast. It has the sterility of a, of a Kubrick movie. Where it's like, it feels like it's having a conversation with you. Rather than, like, watching some sort of, like, emotional experience. It has that clinical distance. But it seems like the actors must have been having a great time making this movie, especially Alex McDowell. I mean, like... The rain bit was... That was an improv from Alex McDowell? Yeah, that's not in the, that's not in the book. In the book, it's different uh, because he just... Because the book, the writer uh, f- figures out because Alex makes a... Uh, somebody, you got a phone and you got a telephone. That was the big tell of that. No, and this is one of the great, the great pieces of adaptation that happened because that is a way more like visceral and understandable way to figure out who Alex is. Uh, that Alex, and this is uh, something that uh, Rob Ager brought up in his video, uh, the the Ludovico lie, that Alex. One of the reasons he says that Alex actually was not brainwashed by uh, the Ludovico the Ludovico treatment is because, because is is because he's able to relive a violent fantasy while sitting in the bathtub of the house where he raped and murdered a woman, and he's able to relive it even physically, like he splashes at the water in the same rhythm that he kicked this guy in the stomach, right, uh, and then. Because, you know, when I first watched that Rob Ager video, the Ludovico lie, at least the first beginning, I was like, dude, Rob, I was like, I think you're kind of missing the point. Like, it's about mechanics. It's not about, like, how you feel. Like, the point is that, like, you actually may feel a certain way. And then I was thinking about the movie, because I think the movie is a little bit different than the book in this sense, where the movie sets up, it's just seeing it fucking makes you horrified, makes you sick. Mm-hmm. So maybe in the movie, there is... It kind of maybe this maybe this notion that Alex beat the Ludovico treatment and that he's playing along, but then the only thing that I really have a hard time reconciling with that though is like when he meets the droogs and the bums that attack him 
and then the Droogs come and save him when he finds out there it's Dim and the other guy, uh, that he does not lash out at all. He lets them abuse him. Well, they're, one, they already had the upper hand on him when they uh, get him. They discover who he is. He's already well, That's gotten... true, right? Because Alex is not some sort of like a karate man. He's not John no. Wick. No, and we got the best of them, you know, earlier in the film. You know, it was by a surprise attack, and you know, he got the better hand of them. Which, which, well, you know, by the way, you got you just got to do with your friends sometimes. You got to keep them in check. You know, you, you do got to keep them in check, man. How many times have we fought? You know, but uh, but two, uh, what I thought was interesting because uh, Rob Eger pointed out in the Levitico uh, lie was that as he walks into this house, he's walking through all the different types of like you know pornographic art. As he gets there, completely like unfazed by it, and so, and I do think you go through uh, earlier frames uh, in the film, like it's not there, and uh, it makes you wonder. You know, like, his parents, you know, obviously didn't want him there. They got another guy, um, both in the book and in the film. They have another guy living there. Uh, they remodel now, their house. It's like a hip, cool house now. And they knew that he was coming out of prison, and then now everything now there's pouring all over the place to see if this treatment works, and then he walks right in there. And I think that really does play to their like surprise, like oh, hello, Alex, like shit, this didn't work, you know, and they, that's why it was like that scene was so intense for them. Like, yeah, cool. I mean, it, it it works for the movie, right? Because Alex's character is such an opportunist. Mm-hmm. Like he just he's just trying. It's not about thought. It's about the immediate. It's about the immediate. About what's happening now. How do I get out of prison? Oh, I got to do this thing. Okay, I'll do this thing. So. How do I go home? I got to do this thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's it, how, like when he gets with the activist people. Okay, what do I got to do for you? Like it, it's never like this premeditated deep thing for Alex. It's just always the immediate. Always like, how do I deal with ex- exactly what's in front of me? Like this primal thing, you know? Let me ask you this because here's what tripping me right. So, like singing in the rain is obviously like you know it was like a hammer Hammerstein play. Oh no! It's a well, it's a movie from oh. the with uh, what's his name? Hold on. You talking about Rogers and Hammerson? It's yeah, nineteen fifty-two movie. Right, but it, it's like a it's a classic though. It's a well-known classic. Yeah, it's a uh, Corey Gene Kelly, Stanley Dornan. Yes, it's a classic. Yeah. Okay, so it, it's a classic thing. You're seeing it in the rain, and he's doing that while they're doing an atrocious act of you know. Breaking and entering, you know, beating up and you know, raping like woman, right? Yeah. And like that's fine, but like when he goes through the treatment and you play um, Beethoven during uh, with you know other scenes of violence, you know, and Nazis, then no, that's not okay. And so, and it was just kind of like a weird contrast, like when they're like you know, beating up the elderly, you know, and then because you know they like hate that, but like what you pick and choose and how you choose, like you know. You know what's classic and what's not. What can be tainted with? What can be destroyed and what can't be? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing. I, I actually, I think I made a note about it when I was uh, watching the movie. Um, that it's it's ironic they take away the one human thing of him. The one grounding thing of him is that he loves Ludwig von Beethoven. He loves him. That's his favorite favorite thing ever. And they even, and without even thinking about it. Which, which in the book, it kind of adds this element of like a, a deeper layer to Alex that he is actually a more thoughtful person than than he seems to be. In the movie, it doesn't play so much out like that because I think they lose a lot of the 
the like the particulars, the minutia of his character, I think in the movie is a much like simpler, baser character, which is just kind of part of his. Uh, what would I? How would I? How would I say this? His love of Beethoven, classical music, art, really spurs more from sort of some sort of arrogant entitlement, feeling like he is part of a historical movement. Um, and I think that's when he sees himself in the movie, specifically, when he sees himself in history committing atrocious acts, that's an extension of that. Like, he feels like he is important. He's entitled. He's smart. Like, he knows that. Um, and I think the... Uh, just like the, the Beethoven thing, and especially in the movie because it's such by happenstance, they're just like, oh, you know who Beethoven is? You're 15. Like, why would you know who Beethoven is? You know, it's supposed to kind of clue you into a little bit of a deeper element of him as a, as a person. And be more cultured. And it, pay, it, it plays very differently in the book than it does in the movie. In the movie, I feel like it's like this weird, like like I said, like I, will, I am Western culture type of thing because he's such a sociopath. In the movie, and in the book, well, he's he is, but he's movie, also, with the exception of prison, right? Uh, while he's a free man, like what what do you see him dressing up in, right? You know, prior to going to prison, you know, he's in a very you know, um, what's the word like you know, pimped out, you know, purple coat and all. He's carrying himself. Mm-hmm. He's walking with cane. You know, when he goes meets those two bobishkas at the record store, he goes back, which is another thing they left out in the uh, uh, in the movie. That they would uh, pay these two old ladies at the bar to be their alibis for their alibis, which I understand why that's not in there because you don't like need it to understand. You don't need you don't need to understand, but like, um, but that um, is it makes it does, it does like uh, 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 take away from like you know the mindless aspect of it. Like they actually had more premeditative uh, thoughts to it. It makes them more like uh, uh, oh, cunning. They're more cunning. Yeah. Yeah, coming sinister to like to go carry out what they're going to carry well, out. You gotta, but you got to think about the context of the movie, and like when you actually do see like outside of the apartments and stuff, how it looks like a dystopian wreck. I think the movie is almost saying that the world is maybe in a slightly worse place than it is in the book. The book is more like kind of saying like uh, socialism has come, and uh, or or capitalist endeavor has like really gone wrong. Like it's really taken it to its extreme where people really are just like tools. Right. I don't think it's, I don't, I'm not, I don't think it's like some sort of screed against communism or anything. I don't. Um, I think it's kind of balancing out this idea that like any type of government control is about control ultimately. And that's you're going to, you're going to fall somewhere in that hierarchy. Right. Um, but I do think that the movie maybe implies that it's a little worse than it is in the book. I mean, like when out and the only real part of the movie where you really see the world at large is when Alex is coming home that first morning and there's trash everywhere. Or when there's the attempted rape scene, when they go fight the other gang in the theater, like you see this idea that like culture, the youth have no fucking respect for the past. No right. respect for culture. No respect for the things that were built to allow them to live the lives they live. They just don't give a fuck. And they're there to destroy it, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why in the movie, especially, they're always attacking like older people. Mm-hmm. Everybody they attack in the movie is older. They're like middle-aged to like early 60s. 
And I think that's specific. I think that's very specific. I don't think that's an accident. Right. And you know, what's funny is that David Bowie, um, was like really open about how influential this film was on him. Um, especially with, like, uh, the suffragette city al- album, you know, and like it bleed into like, you know, Ziggy Stardust as well. And then, Diamond Dogs, yeah. And, you know, and talking into, uh, talking, this is like, you know, we got to kill, you know, kill the, our elders, kill our parents, you know, we got to make a new generation. And, um, and, and that kind of like driven, driven a lot of thing. And that's also into the whole thing and like how, you know, this was like the ultimate punk rock like film, but like, uh, which I, which I would agree, which I would agree with. So would I, so would I, it is because, it, you know, if you think about what punk rock is by its like, by its nature and function, it is hedonism. It's primal, right? Like the good, good punk rock it is a lashing out. No, Dang, it, 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 good it, punk rock. It, is, it's anti-establishment and yeah. self-destruction and um and just everything that we've just been talking about. Yeah, uh, as as much as I like the Ramones, as much as I enjoy the Ramones, the Ramones are like the most milk toast fucking punk rock band ever. Like they're not, they have nothing in common with like real, the sentiment and soul of punk rock. Um, because I I really do think it is about like wild abandon, violence. Maybe not in a good way either. It's about it's about the indiscretion of being young and writing those songs. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, you know. That's why it's so sad when you find like people in their mid thirties or early forties that are like still like, <laughs> like fucking. I carry the politically political ideology of this thing I heard in the eighties. You're just like, oh, shut the fuck up. Well, that, that, that's the kind of thing, you know, that's why I say, like, you know, punk is dead, rock is dead, you know, maybe that's, you know, it's a conversation for another time, but it's just, it was a moment of time and a representation of, you know, a feeling, a sentiment, a rebellion for what you were, and then you grew up, and I think that's why I came to, like, enjoy some of the stuff we listened to when we were kids anymore, because I put it in the perspective of today, yeah. and, like, I, like, what all these, all, you know, like, and like all these artists that you know were hardcore punk rock, grew up to be like these, like, you know, like little socialist pussies, and well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I and I argue with my wife about this all the time. It's like, listen, this is a political ideology they developed when they were 18, and they still say the same things. Like, that's not impressive. That's not interesting. Like, if you were to fucking just like allow yourself to grow up. Like you're you're pretending that you understood a principle at 18, and then like, oh, that must be what's the truth is. It's not interesting. It's not. It's just not. I don't even understand being an artist and feeling satisfied with that. Like mm-hmm. how the like, imagine if we were still like have the impulse to write songs or do whatever that we would have when we were 20. Like no, we wouldn't. It's just we're different people. Allow yourself to be a different person. But this is also one of the dangers of celebrity. You're in a vacuum. And then you kind of get to stay static because of success. People don't expect you to grow or be different. They actually don't want you to. They want you mm-hmm. to be the same person you you were when they liked you ten years ago, which isn't mm-hmm. just fundamentally is just a lie. It's not true. You can't do that. It's impossible. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, it's possible for some people. Some people just some for other people. Not people at ZooBox.com. <laughs> Devin Sawa learned that today. No, I was joking. This motherfucker <laughs> is going to fucking rag on my man Sean. Right? Dude, like, listen, I wish he had come back with a stinger or something. But no, like, no, 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 no. 
No, no, no. I know hundreds of Solomons. Canadian. He probably thought that was a roast. He probably said. Oh no. Said boom, roasted. Oh, dude! Most of the Sawoners also thought that was a roast. I was like, "This is sad. This is sad." You know what it is? You know what it is, Paul? It's boomer shit. That's very on. That's very online. You want to get plugged back in, buddy? Oh, by the way, so I saw you on Twitter, buddy. I I was going to say we start talking about the Ruth, um, you know, the RBG, RBH shit. Ah, God, I can't talk now. Rookie shoulder, a fine Scottish mulch. Mulch, see, there we go. There we go. It's always with you, bud. Always with you. I started it up this morning, and that's why I saw that beautiful clip of Tiny Hunter playing in the background. So, a reporter telling Trump that, you know, games were that. She's like, she's oh, dead. Uh, he handled it well. He handled it well. I give him that. that. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah. a movie. It was like a movie because that was playing at a rally that he was about to either go to or had just left. Mm-hmm. And it was like a movie. Mm-hmm. Like the way the light was hitting. And he's like, I thought when I first saw that, I was like, oh, thought, did somebody put Tiny Dancer in here? Yeah. I thought somebody put Tiny Dancer in there. I was like, no, that was what happened live on the tarmac. You're like, oh, shit. It's crazy because when I first saw the clip, I thought, like, why did someone put Tiny Dancer? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> And then he and then he did and then he did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Which just be respectful. That's all he had to do. And yeah. he did it. And he did it. You know? You know what I mean? Um Clockwork Orange. Wendy Wendy Carlos. Um, goes the whole the whole the whole shebang here. Uh, 1979. She was the first public figure to discuss uh, to discourse having undergone sexual reassignment. Yes, surgery. yes. She also did The Shining. Yep. Yep. She sure did. She sure. <laughs> I appreciate you being respectful of her pronouns. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, well, this is the thing. Like, you know, I think you're just like me. It's just like, yeah, okay. Be. You want to be a trans person? Go for it. Like. Uh, that's fine. I just don't give a kid at seven years old puberty blockers. That's weird. Yeah, kind of like um, well, quite literally child abuse. Yeah, that's where you know I draw my line when you think a six-year-old knows what the fuck they're talking about. That's where I draw my line. They don't even know how to make a sandwich. Swallow, whatever his name is, and ask him what he thinks about that. Can that can that happen? Because I want I want to. I could probably ask him like, "Yo, Devin, listen. Now that we're friends." <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Has I think should have more hormone blockers. Do it, man. But now that I'm back on Twitter, Sean, I'll join you. I'll join well, you. Get in those uh, private messages with me on Twitter because that would be a good way. You know, because I feel bad. I do. I honestly felt guilty. I'm like, oh fuck, Paul's not on any of this stuff. I got to email Paul. Mm-hmm. Like an old man. Like one of these people that Alex would attack on the street. Dude, I, I know, man. Like my own brothers, dude. My own brothers. One fucking email. I'm like emailing I'm them. I'm sorry. Like, and, you know, and that's it went dark. But uh, you know, I hope you respect the decision. Um, you know, even hey, well, maybe, 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 maybe we dip into Twitter. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe we go to Twitter because nobody you know is on fucking Twitter except for me and and Dan. If you want to at Deekster too. I, I followed Dan. Yeah. Followed Dan today. He followed me back, and his fucking picture had me rolling. I'm rolling it's, right now. Yeah, the Scott Stapp picture? Yes. The fucking creep. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a whole ep- – you could go – there's an episode 
when he yeah. shaved, Zubox goes uh, Zubox the regular the regular show, uh, where we definitely talk about that. <laughs> he's a he's a handsome. He's a handsome. That's what I said. I was like, shave that fucking beard. If you want to have long hair, shave the fucking beard. I was like, dude, this is fucking this is pussy grab worthy. Okay, you will. This is good. I was like, but when you get the beard, it's too much. The beard, the glasses, the hair is too much. I looked at him. And he's like, looks at me. I'm like, dude, listen, I'm fucking special. Okay, like I can do it all. Like I don't need. <laughs> no, dude. Like, like I thought the exact opposite. If he's gonna have that, uh, if he's gonna shave it and fucking you know, cut the hair, dude. Because that's it's either or, right? It's either or. You can't have both. You cannot live in these worlds. I have long hair because of COVID and barbers around me that like make me paranoid. I got really nice hair. Like I don't just like to let people touch it. You know what I mean? Nice hair. You do have nice hair. Although I was not gonna lie. Conditioner for all those years. <laughs> you know, Vanessa and Chris. Yeah. Biotin. Crystal too. Yeah. Biotin. It's called biotin. Yeah, it's yeah. like Matrix biotin. I'm not well versed in these things. It's like it made a difference when we would play shows though, because my hair would just like have that fucking bounce, that volume. You know what I mean? Yeah. Had perfect locks. Yeah, perfect locks. That's for sure. For those that don't know, Paul and I were in a band when we were younger, and we used to play shows. And I had a film, and then it was the cause of all of our problems. Yeah, pretty much. Actually, honestly, we still talk today and get in trouble. It's awful. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, uh, let's talk about the visual symmetry. No, I'm joking. Listen, I love this movie. It was so much fun revisiting it. It's just a fun, yeah. Thought, it's thoughtful. It's fun. It's a. It's probably the quickest feeling Kubrick movie. Like, I was watching it and I was like, "Holy shit!" I was like, oh, "I've been watching this for like ninety minutes. I didn't even realize." Like, it just it keeps it keeps going. It's got a great pace. It's always introducing something new. And I know that's also in the book. I do. I think it's a great adaptation of twenty chapters of this book. <laughs> For the for, for the most part, like I do think there's slight differences between the uh, the main protagonists, but I think Kubrick kind of fucking nailed it here. I really do. Like, you know, it was initially three and a half hours long. Well, you know, release the Kubrick cut is all I'm saying. Hashtag release the Kubrick cut. I'd watch this for three and a half hours. As you know, Kubrick burns everything. What a dumb bitch. He didn't know that I would be born wanting it's to watch like, it. Future length film that was cut. Out of the which you know it makes sense because he wanted to make like you said like there is this punk rock like this fucking tight abrasive um visually fucking interesting and um thank you ma'am in your face that happened not apologize even at i watch a lot of movies to kill his family and then he says okay then we'll we'll take it out of the (laughs) movies yeah i i watch a lot of movies right and this is a quick two hours, 16 minutes. This is very quick. Because it doesn't feel that long. It like, feel like there are, it feels like a 90 minute movie, which to me, as an older person, I'm like, 90 minutes? If you can tell your story in 90 minutes, chef's kiss. Like, I'm like, fuck yeah. There's an art to the 90 minute movie. And I think it is the perfect length now that I'm older. You know, back when I was a kid, I was like, uh, you know, stupid. I was like, oh shit, fucking three hour King Kong movie? Fucking rad. Not when I'm 33, going on 34, I'm like, get with, get on with it, get on with it, Peter Jackson. Just get the fuck on with it. Yeah, but anyways, 
But yeah, it's like honestly, I could I could watch this for another hour. Although that's you know, who knows? That's, like, that's part of like a good song, right? Or a good anything, right? Like, oh man, I wish it could have kept going. Do you? I don't know. You know, and that's that's what makes it great because you wanted more and it ended. You know. Yeah, you're right. If you got more, you might have been oh, that was too long. You know. So, but it goes back to I mean, we can't do a Kubrick bit without referring to him as the master. So. He really is though. Like I like you know Dan Prophet. If you listen to this, you're you dumb piece of shit. You fucking. He's over there saying that he's like, oh, uh, what is it called? The fucking. Oh my god! <laughs> now I was gonna make fun of him. I can't remember the name of the movie. The the mil, the Marine one. Full Metal Jacket. Oh yeah. Full Metal Jacket is the only Kubrick movie I like. What a dumb bastard. <laughs> one. He he's been living out in Vermont, so I've. Somebody here for a while, so you know we all know they're a little loopy out there. You know, I'm a New Englander. I love all New England except for everyone in Maine and you know some people in Vermont. But Dan, Dan, Dan. I tr- dude, I sent him a box I, of. I I got kicked. Out. It was like I ran away from home one time, one Labor Day weekend, and I lived in Dan. I lived in Dan from Vermont's house for like uh for a few days. Yeah, didn't you go see a Matrix movie on IMAX too? Yeah, that's right. We got high as fuck. And then, and then, Dan, and then Paul comes back to me. What he, Paul tells me, his takeaway from this experience is like, yeah, Dan Prophet thinks the, the Pixies are stupid. Oh yeah, that did piss me off. Pissed me off. But Dan Prophet's just lucky Paul didn't have a cast that he would hit him on the head with. <laughs> that's what Paul did. Paul broke his arm when we were kids, or had his actually arm broken by another person, and uh, he would hit people in the face with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure Dan remembers that fondly. Of course he does. Why would he? For, how could he forget it? Dan, like in between slaughtering innocent animals, like the monster you are, rewatch some of these films, and you might not be seeing. Listen, some- I sent Dan a box full of movies because I had like so many doubles and stuff, and like I can't pay you guys. I mean, Paul, you're just gonna have to do it. Like whatever. I don't, oh. I don't worry about you. <laughs> But like I had all these doubles and stuff. I got a cinema fiend. I'm like, nice. let's hook the guy up. Let's hook it up. Nice, man. Like, and it feels good. I like doing that stuff. It feels good inside to me. Like, I'm like, ooh, I get to share something with a movie friend. Like, just like doing these podcasts. Like, reading the book and talking about the movie with an old friend. Like, it just feels good to me. And uh, I sent him some Kubrick stuff. He's got The Shining in 2001. And I expect some sort of report at some point. I'm not, you know, <laughs> no strings attached, but like, don't be a piece of shit. Anyways, <laughs> he's had enough time. He's had enough time. I don't need to talk about him anymore. I'll be well, talking to you. He's not at the point in his life yet where the kid's old. Yeah, you know what I mean? He's not like, I don't know. Oh, Dan's he's still, you know, you know in all. In respect to Dan, in respect to Dan, I this is the funniest thing to me is like, Dan's the kind of guy that will be like, I work 90 hours, like cutting all this stuff. I'm like, yo, I mowed the lawn, bro. Pound it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I hauled this cow up this thing and like had to cut all this stuff. I'm like, yo, dude, fucking rake some leave, pound it. Yeah, that was labor intensive. Yeah, it was. Honestly, it was. Like, I don't want to be too. I gotta be fragile. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on a diet, like in a week. You know. You got a Canadian making fun of you on Twitter. Oh my god. <laughs> kinds of fragile. <laughs> he came for me, but he failed, in my opinion. I mean, I'm biased. It's me. But I think he failed. 
Uh, I was like, here's an opportunity, fella. Here's an opportunity. Find why I'm a weirdo. Don't repost the joke I made. That is clearly a joke. Like, come on, buddy. I got to call in a favor. Yeah. And have Bruce Campbell make a absurd joke um, at, uh, on Twitter. Dude, you know what we got to do? We got to pay Bruce Campbell on Cameo to fucking make a video dissing Devin Sawa and then send it to him. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Fuck that. We got to find Dude. somebody Devin Sawa's been in a movie with that's on Cameo and then pay them hundreds yeah. of dollars to just talk shit about Devin Sawa. You're going to have to text me his name so I don't forget it tomorrow. Listen, this is going to happen. Devin Sawa is the enemy, everybody. I need you, everybody that listens to this, you need to go find Devin Sawa of Idle Hands and Final Destination. I know some of you know who that is. You find him on Twitter and you say, hey, man, yo, Sean's a good guy, but you're a piece of shit. I heard that you might have some sort of sexual allegations in your past. I don't know if this is true. I'm just saying you say you might have heard it out there. Just get people talking. Twitter. Let's get this guy canceled. He's obviously needs to be me, dude. <laughs> I'm joking. Please don't do that. Me too. I think we just want to get enough people exercising their free speech and you know calling out for what it is. No, you're right, Paul. No, I. No, of course I'm kidding. I, I would not want anybody to go look at old articles of Devin Sawa from 2005 or 2006. I would never want that. That would be a bad thing to do. Um. <laughs> Be awful. You know, in fairness to myself, Paul, I know about some stuff and I never fucking ever did anything with it. Cause I was like, but I was like, no, let's keep it Twitter, friend. Let's keep it on Twitter. Like, whatever happens here, we're going to keep it here. I ain't going to be going outside of Twitter to go find stuff about Devin Sawa. But there are things that, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Things, <laughs> things have happened. Man. I'm like a droog out here trying to ruin these old people, these old guys. Ugh. Real quick, I just want to say one thing. It's just like a little fun. Well, it's fun to me. It's fun to me. But because of this movie, A Clockwork Orange, I almost wasn't born because of it. Oh, shit. Let's hear it. Uh, the first date he ever had with my mom, uh, he started talking about this film. In, mm-hmm. uh, in the box nation, my mom is... Yeah, classic uh, traditional Irish Catholic type. Still very much is so. Uh, at, at the I can hear your dad's voice, too. I can hear that, like, rising intonation. So I saw this movie, Cl- Clockwork Orange. <laughs> was, it's really interesting. <laughs> I did an issue of free will, and then, you know. <laughs> hey, listen, your mom should like this movie because it makes it. My mom is asking, what's it about? And then my dad uh, gives excruciating uh, details about everything that he talks about. <laughs> and then she started thinking, like, this is what he likes. And started, like, oh, like, oh God. And she almost didn't go on a second date with him. But luckily, this he was. Like uh, this is like when Travis Bickle picked up that chick from the. Have you ever seen Taxi? You've seen Taxi Driver, right? Yeah. No. Uh, Wait. Robert De Niro. Yeah, no, you schooled me on a couple podcasts ago. I won't say anything because we're going to watch that together. Because we have to. This is the work. This is the work of Zubox Goes to the Movies. Holidays right around the corner. It's almost there. We're we're almost there. Almost there, man. Almost Almost there. there, I'm still looking at ways to make a monolith from my my front yard. 
This is what I like to hear. See, this is what I like to hear when when Zubox uh, when Zubox goes to the movies, rather <laughs> the influence it has on America and people's front yards. Because somebody's gonna see Paul building a monolith and be like, "What's that?" Because mm-hmm. he lives in like some sort of Halloween competitive neighborhood, and they're gonna well, be like, "No, there's a couple of houses that have no idea that they're competing with me. I'm not over it." Like, or so you think. Maybe they think the same thing about you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just picked up another couple of hundred uh, orange and purple lights from my bushes. <laughs> they went to Home Depot today to rent a hedger. I paid like 30 bucks to rent this like hedger for, for like fucking four hours just so I can get them perfectly around so that way it'll like net. Yeah. I like it. I like it. it, it yeah, it's September, motherfucker. Listen, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think what you should do is like take all these like ornate bottles that you've been saving up, and like whenever kids pass by, you just smash it. <laughs> well, here's the thing, um, like uh, little apes, like uh, ape-like uh, figurines that are like at least like four feet tall, are pretty expensive because I wanted to have fucking apes mm-hmm. all around the monolith as well, like one in there. But it's, I might. Wait, wait, wait! Have you thought of this? Silhouettes. You cut out some, you get some uh, poster board or some like foam, mm-hmm. print out like a silhouette of an ape, mm. right? And then you just cut out the silhouettes and then you have some backlighting because you're going to need backlighting for this monolith, right? And then that's going to fucking p- make those apes pop. So if you get some of that, if you get some foam like poster board, go to Home Depot. It's the kind of stuff you use in kitchens and whatnot, right? Get that duck yeah. shit. Fucking five, six feet high. Mm-hmm. Then get a stencil of an ape. I'm just saying for the effect, for the effect, no, no. or or you just tell your kids to do the right thing. Yeah, and just stay in the ape outfit. You're not going trick or treating. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe my town, but oh, we can't do it because of uh, you know. COVID, the yeah. Dude, what if you just dress up like the monolith and your kids at the monolith? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, It'll happen. I'll send you pictures. I'm I mean, so like, as, as far as okay. Kubrick, I'll talk to you on this. You, you'll get the pictures. But Kubrick, like, Kubrick Halloween's dude. Like Sarah and I, and I, Sarah's down for this, so I'm thankful. It's like we are definitely going as the Torrances one year. Oh shit! Yeah, we're definitely doing that one year. I don't know if it's gonna be this year. Maybe next year. Maybe, at least for a picture or something around the season. Maybe that's maybe instead of sending Christmas cards or whatever. We'll just send oh, a yeah. Halloween card out to people. Pop an 11 sweater for Foster to wear. And then you'll... <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a pricey venture, so we got to save up. Because those things are so wildly cost. Oh, this costs so much fucking money. If you want to like get like the sweater, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, 90 bucks for a sweater for a three-year-old. You're like, fuck, this kid's going to wear this one time. <laughs> this is not cost-effective. Yeah. We, we were well, going to get, we were going to get, we have a comforter and stuff. We were going to get the sheet set. That was the carpet from The Shining. Mm-hmm. It was like a hundred and twenty dollars. I was yeah. like, "That's fucking outrageous, dude!" Like it's a print. Was it even Egyptian cotton? You know? No, it was like some cheap ass fucking comforter cover. Like you're it's like novelty like shit, dude. It's I like know, that. it's gross. You're like for your wedding, like all right. So, all right, can can I talk about your wedding on Zbox yeah, Nation? Of course, of course. Yeah. So like. My man Sean here and his wife said they got married on Halloween, yes. and then uh, I wanted to go as uh, 
uh, dumb and dumber, but I needed uh, I needed a right hand man. I couldn't just be in an orgy talks by myself. So your brother Dan was all about it. So then I ended up dropping 160 bucks on these two stupid plastic like <laughs> yeah. just slip over tuxedos, and it was great. By the way, it's awesome. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, that kind of shit like really like made my day. Like honestly, like and the thing that made it even better is that Paul had never taken them out of the package. And it, they all had all these fucking creases in them, like they had been folded up for forever. Because like this is like this is the great thing about this. This is why me and Paul are friends. Because I had never put on my costume that I was going to wear the day I got married until I was in the parking lot, about to get married. <laughs> I wrote my vows forty-five minutes before I left to go get married. But you were thinking about them for weeks. Oh, of course, for years, Paul. <laughs> years no it's just like i don't know like it's one of those things it's just like uh that's why we're such good friends but but i loved it i love that shit though that was great that's honestly i was just so happy i didn't have to wear a suit like i got to trick everybody into wearing a fucking like i oh, just wear whatever you're good <laughs> yeah uh, there's there's some other good costumes there. That, that was a good night. That was a good night. We actually, Sarah and I have plans for like future Kubrick Halloweens. Like we're like, oh, we're gonna be the Droogs. I'll probably have to be dim, which is pretty. <laughs> but I can't let Foster be dim. Foster would probably be oh. Alex. I'll give him the the honor of Alex. Yeah, yeah, but then Sarah can like do up his eyeball. You know, either I, that or Sarah and I go as his parents. <laughs> she was like a wig. Yeah. That would be good too. That would be a good one too. That would be good. That would yeah, be good. We're gonna we're gonna be Kubrick Halloween people until Foster can tell us that he thinks it's stupid. Or if you get a red spacesuit, she gets a yellow spacesuit, and then you put Foster on black and like make him howl. Just get like a red dot on him. Yeah. I would love that. I would love so much. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be a weird movie family, and like. You know, I guess to end the episode, uh, speaking of youth, like I took Foster for the first time ever to a movie the other day. Oh. We went COVID, COVID live. We went to a movie theater. Um, if you guys don't know, Regal Cinemas, they got these like Regal classics. You can go for like eight bucks. You got a kid, five bucks for me, three bucks for him. Go see a movie. Fuck it. Can't. We had. We had never Is seen concession stands there too. Like, can you get like popcorn and shit? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. At least where we live, we can. Uh, I don't think that, I don't know if that's nationwide. Um, but we can. So we went. Um, we have already had COVID because my wife uh, works with people that she works with. So we already actually got sick. So there's kind of like for us the barrier to entry is very low. It's like okay, cool. Yeah, I'll go see a movie. Sure. <laughs> like. I got that good plasma. I'm good for at least three months, at least. Until the second wave. <laughs> Until the second wave. You're dead. You're dead. Go see the movies now. That's why you got to go see them now. I refer to my mask as my freedom suppressor. work. <laughs> hey, where's your freedom suppressor? I'm like, oh, shit. You know what's great? I love when you like have your mask on. You're sweating. Like when you fucking got that, that mask sweat. Oh, it's wonderful. Everyone does the same thing when they take their mask off, put it in their back pocket, and then put it back on when they're going somewhere. And just like, oh, it's a facade. It's a game. It's yeah. a fucking stupid game. 
The state. It's the state controlling us. It has like nothing. Nobody is like, like even, even if those things were more useful than 7% effective of giving somebody else COVID, nobody is following the actual rules. So it's just fucking stupid because everybody goes like this. Everybody's got it below their nose. Like it's like whatever. Like it's so stupid to have to do it. And so uh, my, my place of employment where I'm working, like I have to wear it unless I'm in a designated smoking area right. or unless I'm drinking or eating something. That's when you go to a movie theater, boy, you buy yourself that big tub of popcorn. And you're like, I'm eating, I'm drinking and then I'm watching a movie. It's because this makes it better. This makes it different. When all the mess, when all the uh, fucking restaurants opened up, I one of our, our mutual friends, T Bone, you know what I'm talking about. T Bone, uh, he's a big restaurant guy. He's like, well, you know, you go in, you got to wear your mask until you sit down, and then when you sit down, you order, you can take it off. I'm like, you're inside of a building. Like it's like, what are you talking about? Like why would that? Why would anybody believe that's effective? Like either it is something or it isn't. Like let's yeah. stop playing games. Yeah, our pool, the like, so we had to wear a mask walking into our pool area. Yeah. It's an outdoor pool, but you got to yeah. take this overhang. So we go in there and we sign it, and then as soon as we get in there, we set up, then we take it off. But you have to put it back on when you go into the bath. So I, nothing, nothing makes sense, man. Dude, it's like when people were like, uh, when all the stuff with George Floyd first happened, uh, people would have barbecues and they would put signs out in front of their houses say, say, uh, like in solidarity with George Floyd. Oh my God. Not even shitting you. Not even shitting you, because nobody, because then the cops, they wouldn't come and bother you. Yeah. yeah. That's a real thing that happened. Oh wow. Plus, Listen, you can mass protest. You can mass protest 10,000 people on the street, but you can't go see your fucking dying grandmother. Remember that. Yeah. Anyways, like it's like some of this stuff is real. I don't I'm not a doctor and uh but I love I love Clockwork Orange. <laughs> it was a good video, my friend. It was a good video. Yeah, and and these droogs, these droogs would have no patience for what's going on right now. They like masks on their eyes to obscure that they don't like it over their faces because they want to be here. They want to be heard. Yeah. And that's really the salient point. You know, that's really what we got to take away from a clockwork orange is maybe be a little bit more uh, punk rock. You know, don't let yourself be a clockwork orange be controlled by the state or something or whatever. Some bullshit. Or if, if you're going to be like lame Jane, like chapter 21, Hey, it'll get better. You'll, you'll grow up. And it doesn't matter what you fucking did. You know, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Uh, it's uh, uh, it, it was a, like an okay book and a great movie. And I'm glad that uh, we got to we got to tackle this one together. No, it's it was a lot of fun talking about it. And honestly, it was. Uh, I think this is one of the better ones we, we've done. It's this. It's a fun movie, and it's fun to talk about. And there's all these sort of different things that are going on with it. Um, I do think it it literally plays directly into my sense of humor. A lot of Kubrick stuff does, but this one feels like way more overtly does. You know, I really really enjoyed the revisit because it had been a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that it provided me this provided me the opportunity to do so. Um, but anyways, um. So thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Zoobox and everything that goes on at Zoobox Nation, 
uh, go ahead and click, click some of those links in the description. There's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's Twitter. There's also Dan's Twitter now. Dan's got a Twitter now, at Deekster2. If you would like to make a recommendation for any of these daily videos that I do, or for something for the big show, for this one, what you're watching now, the exciting stuff, okay? When I bring on a guest and I don't just, like, talk to myself for 12 minutes, uh, this would be the place to do it. Drop it in those comments. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, unless they're Devin Sawa. Then don't tell them. Uh, well, tell them what I said, but don't share this video with him. He doesn't deserve it. Devin Sawa is a hack. I hope that uh, I th- hope he enjoys his next starring appearance appearance in some sort of red box exclusive movie. I hope he's happy with his career and his abilities and uh, that he looks about 60, even though he's about in his late 30s uh, because he was a drug addict and alcoholic and, and abused a lot of people, as I intimated in 2005, 2006. Anyways, you have a great time, everybody. Goodbye.